It was back in 2013, and Arizona was the center of a solar war. The state's largest utility was at odds with the fast-growing industry over how to pay for rooftop solar systems. It got very political, and in the middle of the conflict were the customers, many people who wanted the financial benefit of solar, and some who were worried about how to pay for it. You know, as a consumer advocate, you'll hear directly from your constituents, and you can see how reliant customers are on affordable energy. And their budgets are really stretched. And they're, again, living paycheck to paycheck. And you hear that, and you you can hear that in their voices. At the time, Lon Huber was working for a consumer advocacy organization called the Residential Utility Consumer Office. He was tasked with finding a path forward that would benefit everyone, the solar industry, customers, and the utility. Not an easy balance. And as Lon weighed the benefits of solar with the cost of maintaining the grid, he heard from people who would be acutely impacted by any decision. You know, in Arizona, we have a lot of retirement communities. And so you're you're dealing with people that 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 have this as a necessity to keep that house just just cool enough to be to be livable, right? When it's 120 degrees out, 110 degrees out. This created a perverse situation. It meant more people wanted solar to cut their bills. But there was a worry that as more people put solar on their homes while not paying for the cost of maintaining the grid, that other customers without solar would see their bills rise. With the utility system, it is a networked infrastructure system. It is not a, you know, you buy a product over here and it doesn't impact you know, if your neighbor, everybody is in in this network. So Lon analyzed these two colliding forces, technology innovation and energy affordability. And his work on solar in Arizona would shape the next eight years of his career as he transitioned from consumer advocacy into the utility business. My views have not changed from the consumer advocate to the utility. I continue my advocacy for fair treatment with you know to all customers while at the same time encouraging new technology out there and maximizing the benefits and the way that you maximize the benefits is by maintaining a strong shared network it's making sure that we're going towards that optimal future and not one where you have certain groups and segments of customers that are getting over-allocated costs or or under-allocated benefits. This is With Great Power, a show about the people building the future grid today. I'm Brad Langley. Some people say utilities are outdated and slow, that they're not changing fast enough. But inside the industry, there are people with innovative ideas working really hard to put them into practice. This week, we're talking with Duke Energy's Lon Huber about rate design and how it can change the utility customer dynamic. Finding the value of rooftop solar is a very complex exercise. Distributed solar, when paired with batteries, can be a very effective tool for balancing the grid during times of stress. But solar without batteries uses the grid as a backup. And if rates don't properly value the networked infrastructure to support that solar, it creates an imbalance in economic benefits. And rooftop solar is just one example of the technology disrupting the utility business model. It's changing the way utilities make money and spread costs among customers. Now, as a senior vice president for pricing and customer solutions at Duke Energy, Lon Huber is trying to come up with new solutions. 
I work on developing innovative solutions to solve our customers' either problems that they have or opportunities they want to, to capture, and at the same time, leveraging the latest in customer analytics. My whole uh, group spans energy efficiency. It spans different types of demand response programs and regulatory analytics, rate designs. So a lot of the, the fun stuff I get to work on. Rate design is a complicated puzzle. So I spoke with Lon about how his team analyzes and creates new rates to build programs and services for specific groups of customers, including distributed energy. But first, we talked about what happened in Arizona almost a decade ago. So what ended up happening in Arizona during your time there? Well, in in Arizona, there was a series of settlements. And so the, this was, you know, multi, multiple years. And the way that Arizona decided to balance the embedded cost was to have a grid access fee. The way they decided to handle marginal costs was to look at what that state compensated utility-scale solar. And they said, hey, we, on average, pay $0.07 cents a kilowatt hour for utility-scale solar, say. Um, it's the last, but just for sake of argument. And um, so we, when you export we will pay rooftop solar that credit rate. So the, that's they blended the two. They said, uh, hey, we, we've got to make sure we are collecting costs to serve. Again, that's the embedded cost. And so they introduced uh, time of use rates with grid access charges. What got you into energy in the first place? I think before you were an advocate, you worked in policy as well. Um, what was it about the intersection of energy policy and advocacy that got you into the space and keeps you into the space today? It's the the impact that this industry has uh, on multiple fronts to to the world when you think about it. It's the core of our economy, having reliable affordable, ever-clean, you know, ever-cleaning energy supply. It's the challenge of climate change. Because we support all the other industries, we're naturally helping them as well uh, with their different scopes of emissions. And the other part of it was just the exciting technological developments. Why was Duke where you decided to, uh, to land? It was basically for my consumer advocate days, I was intently focused on the customer. How can the utility be more customer-centric? And how could the, the utility leverage and modernize the regulatory space to make sure that customers are getting a top-tier experience with all the latest technology? We are going to have to have the customer participate in this energy transition to, full, to, to do the deep decarbonization that we're, we're aiming for as an industry and as, as Duke has, has set its ambitious targets. And so I had a consulting arrangement with, with Duke and many other utilities, and Duke stood out with its commitment to putting the customer first. They, in, even fa- they had a whole initiative on it at the time uh, that still carries on to this day. Uh, when I was uh, a consultant. And so I saw this, I'm like, holy cow, well, this is a utility that's that's taking the customer seriously. Combine that with their carbon reduction targets, and you've got a unique mix 
And then I was basically hooked ever since. Let's talk about some of these things at Duke that you're alluding to, because uh, I've been tracking what you guys have been up to, and it's really impressive. Uh, the first one, so you guys won SEPA's Utility Transformation Program of the Year Award. I think the program had three main components, renewables, smart thermostats, and flat monthly bills. Um, I've heard you describe it as a triple win for the utility. What was the program design, and why was it successful? Well, th- this gets into... Yeah, really, That what I was just describing where the customer can select the level of, of bill amount that they want every month. Based, It's linked to their historic usage. Locks them in without a true up, so it's not like budget bill. The, you know, the issue with budget bill is that there could be a surprise at the end of the year of, hey, you, know, you use more or fuel prices went up and, and um, now you know, <laughs> there's going to be a... Uh, uh, a, a bill that you're going to have to pay, where fixed bill is just that it sets that price for the entire year, and then resets based on on behavior that for the next, but still locks everything with in with no surprises. And so we said, well, there's got to be a way to mix that that predictable bill framework with renewable energy and with dispatchable devices. And so we said, well, let's link up smart thermostats with with renewable energy and deliver that in a bundle to a customer in basically in a non-intrusive way so that thermostat would be operating every month to lower that customer's cost to serve for all customers and that's where that that triple win comes in and but at the same time we're using preheating pre-cooling to lessen the impact of those demand response events um, those you know load shifting events. Well, your team's been busy because you guys also announced another program this year uh, around uh, vehicle to grid integration with Ford, and I believe it was their F one fifty Lightning. Um, what are the parameters of that program, and how does it leverage innovative rate design? That program is pretty exciting. Again, it starts with being customer centric. We said, well, when is a customer going to sign up for something like this? And how can we make it um, straightforward for them? And so we decided to structure the compensation directly to the lease payment. So their lease payment is reduced if they sign up for this vehicle to grid program. So make it really easy at the dealership. You know, there's obvious you know limits to this, and the the batteries can only output less than 10 kW per hour anyway. These events are probably going to be around two and a half, three hours tops. So if you've got a 130 kWh battery or 100 kWh battery and you're only taking you know, 10 out of that, uh, you're, you've got plenty of battery life. And we, w- we would monitor if that, that car has a low battery so we wouldn't deplete it. So again, trying to be as customer-centric as possible you know, reassure customers that have any type of of fear of oh well, this is is this going to drain my battery? You know, what is this going to do? Uh, so, getting ahead of that, reducing again that lease payment, and then providing a financial incentive at the end of the year if they um, have had high availability of their truck being plugged in and ready to go. You know, during those peak times. And this is one of the key things that we're we're trying to learn. We're trying to learn just what is that vehicle availability during the peak times that that we need it. And then the other key learning is 
is that the right way to compensate a customer for it? Is it through the lease or is it, should it be more of an upfront payment, right? Uh, terminology, you know, things of that nature we're, we're going to be trying to glean learnings from. So um, we're hoping that, uh, that it's a wildly successful program so then we can, or pilot, I should say, so then we can make it a program. I've also heard you say that rate design is a very important tool that not enough people pay attention to. And this is a topic that's near and dear to me. I, I'm curious, your perspective, why do you think not enough people pay attention to rate design? <laughs> it, for, you know, it might, maybe because it gets wonky pretty quickly. The tariffs are really dry. <laughs> um, and in the past, I just don't think it was as important. And partly partly because we didn't even have the meters to build to to have new rate designs. So it was very hard, especially on the mass market side, to introduce new innovative uh, rate design. But when you think about it, this is the economic layer that connects all the different DERs out there. You have the the you know the physical infrastructure layer, you have the communications layer, you have the I you know the IT, you have you have all these different layers when it comes to the grid. But the financial layer, the heart of it, is the rate design. And that will help shape what type of technologies you see customers adopt. You have to to basically see, well, what are we trying to solve for in the rate design in rate design? And then what type of technology can that spur. So a rate design that encourages a mixture of energy and capacity or demand reduction technologies is one that now that's starting to get closer to how the grid actually operates how the, and what the system needs. And so that's why it's just so important to get those, those price signals right, because that is what enables you to scale up DERs. Otherwise, you're in an unsustainable situation where you've got one type of technology that has significant diminishing returns. So have we gotten to a point where, because of some of the dynamics you just walked through, that people are paying more attention to it and using it as a tool for transformation, or do we still have a ways to go? I think we have a, a ways to go. There's what I call the tyranny of status quo, which is, well, we have flat kilowatt hour base rates today for mass market and if we move to anything else you know that that's going to really rock the boat so once you have this status quo rate design everything is compared to that so if you have a new TOU rate the the customer's naturally going to ask well is this going to save me money and the regulator is naturally going to ask well is this going to cause people to call in and and be upset if I have them as default or you know something of that nature, uh, and so a few states have have gone out and and pursued the default route, and uh, other states are are producing options for for customers to select, and then the utility goes and markets them. But in general, I still see a reluctance from stakeholders because you've got built up constituencies, whether that's technology providers, whether certain you know, NGOs that have a vested interest in keeping things how they are. So is, is there a tipping point moment where that ceases to be the case and everyone does use rate design as a tool for transformation? Like, what what does that panacea look like or does it not exist? I think there will be a point where 
and I, I think you're starting to see this in the West, especially where an SPP, where you have a non-trivial trivial amount of hours that have negative pricing. Think, you know, in one season in SPP, 17% of the hours had negative pricing. That's pretty wild to think about, right? At the same time, especially you see this in California, Arizona, you have ramps, pretty dramatic ramps up to, to the net peak. That is just so far different than our, you know, the utility system of the past, uh, that type of dynamic where you have an excess amount of generation that quickly turns into a scarcity of generation for you know, just very rapidly, right? Where prices can be negative and then all of a sudden skyrocket, all within the like within a few hours of a day. I think as more and more states encounter that, and as more regulatory bodies, utilities, stakeholders see that new reality that's approaching, I think there'll be more openness to to fully leveraging what rate design can bring. What if that doesn't happen? So so what if uh, more utilities aren't pushing innovation in, in rate design? What opportunities do you think they'll miss out on? I think they'll miss out on some low-hanging fruit uh, to get behavioral response to grid needs. And you know we saw that in a lot of the pilots that Duke uh, did initially before we, we made the, our time of use critical peak pricing rates available to all. We saw customers respond to those price signals, especially the critical peaks, and reduce their load. And that is just using a revenue-neutral rate design. It doesn't on average, collect any more or any less than the standard rate design of today. So you've got a low-hanging fruit approach to to get behavioral response to the price signals, align that to the grid needs. So when you have that low midday pricing, you can reflect that in the tariff so that customers use more or shift their energy into that time period, right? And then when you've got that dramatic peak, you know, you can see the customers respond to that. In fact, a, a, a key success story for me was walking into the control center the, at uh, Arizona Public Service, and they showed when the TOU rates took in, into effect, I think it was like 3 p.m., I want to say. And you could see through just the system-level statistics the impact when 3 o'clock hit. You could literally see see it trending downwards, and then when the um, the the peak ended, I think like eight p.m. or nine p.m., you could see it go back up. It was like amazing. I mean, you could see this at the system level, the system level, right? And so it was it was pretty amazing to see, and and I think you know you leave you leave that uh, on the table if you don't if you don't take advantage of it. Um. You know, with your background as uh, in policy, in customer advocacy, in consulting, and now within the halls of utility, really keen to get your uh, perspective on this one. Um, you know, it's not uh, uh, it's not unknown that utilities are often criticized for not moving fast enough, or sometimes being accused of blocking progress on the energy transition. Uh, not a belief I hold, but uh, but others do. Uh, I'm curious, what criticism? Uh, what part of this criticism do you think is warranted and what part of this criticism misses the mark? I think when I first got involved in the space, utilities were very skeptical of the need to decarbonize and then 
actually doing it, <laughs> embracing the new technologies. And so when I said I, I went to where I could make the most impact, I don't think I could have made as much of an impact if I was inside a utility. Now, to be fair, at the time, the technology was way more expensive, too. Okay, um, But I think early on, the utilities were very reluctant, and we all know about first impressions. And if you're like me, you know, maybe you got to the industry right during that time, you would think, wow, like utilities are so regressive. They don't care about climate change. They don't care about embracing these new technologies. And that first impression might just continue to last. And I can, and I see certain stakeholders continue with that same line of, of, of thinking today, even though I think the situation on the ground has been, has completely changed in most states. Utilities are the ones that at the end of the day have to keep the lights on, which is a pretty big responsibility when, when that is, when the buck stops with you, because when the lights are off, pretty much the entire economy can go into a halt, right? So can you just imagine of you're sitting there and you get blamed for shutting down the economy of a state? You're going to probably be a little bit more conservative than somebody that doesn't have to be held accountable at the end of the day. What superpower do you bring to push the energy transition forward? What I bring is an understanding of all the stakeholders and their positions to the point where as long as they're serious about the outcome, which is having reliable, affordable, clean energy that we deliver in a customer-centric way, I, I can usually pull a settlement together. Uh, well, thank you, Lon, very much. This was a fantastic conversation. Really enjoyed talking to you, and I'm really glad you're on the side of the utilities now and doing all the great work that you are. So thank you very much for the time. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thanks for inviting me. And that's our show for today. With Great Power is produced by GridX in partnership with PostScript Media. Delivering on our clean energy future is complex. GridX exists to simplify that journey. GridX is the enterprise rate platform that modern utilities rely on to usher in our clean energy future. We design and implement emerging rate structures, and we increase consumer investment in clean energy, all while managing the complex billing needs of a distributed grid. Our production team includes the illustrious Aaron Hardick, Stephen Lacey, and Camille Stennis, all from PostScript Media. The original theme song and mixing came from Sean Markwand. The GridX production team includes Jenny Barber and me, Brad Langley. If this show is providing value for you, and we really hope it is, please spread the word. You can rate or review us to Apple and Spotify, or you can share a link with a friend, colleague, or the energy nerd in your life. Thanks again for listening. I'm Brad Langley. 